You are listening to a sermon from the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Daniel. Uh, I completed the PLC season three last this year, and this is my second time to preach. Uh, no pressure. It's just the end of the decade. It's the last sermon this decade. No pressure. It's not a big deal. Um, yeah, it'll be fine. We'll get through it. We'll make it. Um, so I have some, some bad news. We have reached the worst part of the year, uh, in my personal opinion. Uh, I say this for, for two reasons. One, uh, it, is, it is winter, and I hate winter. Uh, if you love winter, I'm, I'm sorry that you feel that way, but I, I hate winter. Um, as I've gotten older, as I've become a cliche dad, I've grown to love the things of the summer. I love to cut my grass. I love to make little patterns in it. It doesn't look good, but I love doing it. Um, I'm a beekeeper. Uh, bees aren't really doing anything right now. There's no flowers. They're not making anything. So they're, they're just trying to get through winter like I am. I love uh, fishing. I love stomping creeks, flipping rocks, uh, looking for salamanders, doing that kind of stuff with my son. Uh, again, not something you can do in the winter. The water is cold, and those animals are gone. I don't know where they are. Um, but uh, it's, it's terrible, and I'm, I'm ready for spring. And so it, I always get reminded of this. Christmas tricks us because it comes in. You're like, oh, this is great. This is cozy. It's cool. I love it. And then it ends, and you're like, oh, it's winter. What, how did this happen? And, and then when Christmas ends, you get the other reason why we're in the worst time of year, and it's because of New Year's. And I, I hate New Year's as well. I sound like the Grinch up here, but I, I just, these, this is not a great time. It's not a great time. And so I don't enjoy New Year's. Um, I, I will say that 2020 is looking good. I've done some research on 2020. Um, Independence Day falls on a Saturday, which is great for those of us that like to sleep. The uh, fireworks of our neighbors celebrating their freedom will not keep us up. Um, on a work day. Also, Christmas and New Year's will fall on a Friday night or Friday, which is great because then you've got a longer weekend uh, to, to celebrate and enjoy that time. So that's great. I, I'm assuming Thanksgiving will still be on a Thursday. Uh, I haven't looked into it. There's also a lot of really good movies coming out in 2020. Uh, new Ghostbusters uh, with Bill Murray and the whole cast, which is, that's fantastic. Godzilla vs. King Kong, you guys may not care, but I love dinosaurs and stuff. Uh, Top Gun, Bad Boys, Bill and Ted. 2020 is uh, looking pretty good. But in, in all sincerity, though, there, there is a... Uh, a difficulty with this time of year. I, I joke a lot, but uh, there is a reason that this time is, is hard for, for so many. Um, as the holiday season winds down and the onset of a new year sets in and the ending of one, there is a, there is a sense of anxiety, at least, at least for me and with my family, uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, for some of you, you just celebrated your last Christmas with your kids still living at home. And, and that is a, a very hard thought. Or maybe you can count on one hand how many Christmases you have left with your kids still at home. For some, 2020 will be the first year without a loved one that has passed. The first time stepping into a new year, a new decade, without that person that has been so pivotal in your life. 
maybe life is, is changing too quickly and drastically in a direction that, that you are not prepared for, that you are not ready for, and it, it fills you with anxiety to think about what 2020 might potentially bring. And so a new year for many acts as a trigger. It reminds them of loss and trauma that they have experienced in years past. This makes us weary of what a new year might bring. Will the new year bring the child that you have been praying for? Will it bring the husband or wife that you have been longing for? Will your wayward son, friend, family member finally come home? So many fears and anxieties surrounding the new and the unknown. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, this morning I, I need encouragement. I need a reminder that even though Christmas is over, the celebration does not have to stop. I need help seeing past my failures. I need help walking through loss and grief. I, I need the good news of the gospel. I need your son Jesus to come and lead me because I am unable to do these things with any lasting results. Dear Lord, guide us this morning. Help us. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you guys could, go ahead and open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verses 7 through 10. Uh, while you guys are turning there, I want to give us a little bit of context uh, for what's going on. So Paul is writing this letter, and I'm not going to assume anything this morning. Paul is... Uh, has written most of the New Testament. He is the author of this book. We call it a book. It's not a book. It's a letter. He's writing a letter to the Church of Corinthians, uh, the people of Corinth that live in Corinth. Corinthians. There's, there's the name. Um, so he's writing a letter to them. Uh, and prior to the verses that we're going to be in this morning, he had been addressing some individuals who were causing some problems within this church. Uh, there were what they were calling, they were calling themselves apostles. Uh, Paul calls them false apostles. Um, they were seeking to take advantage of Christians. They came in boasting in their greatness and the many things that they've done. Uh, and it seems as though the church has, has fallen for that. And they have believed these individuals who have come in boasting of their great deeds. But there was someone in the church, uh, maybe several people, that were uneasy with what was going on. And they felt that Paul should know because he was not there. And so they sent Paul a letter, and Paul received it, and then Paul is written. I'm sure that all happened really quickly, that he got the letter and sent it back to them. Um, it didn't. So he is responding to these false apostles. Who knows how much damage may have been done in the church in the span that it took this letter to get to Paul and for him to get his letter to the church. What do these men have to boast about? That is the question that Paul responds with. He says, are they, are they Hebrews? Are they Israelites? Are they sons of Abraham? Are they Christ's servants? And Paul says, I am too. I, I am more so. I have more reason to boast than any of these men choose to or can. Paul goes on to talk about these reasons, the many things that have happened to him that give him reason to boast but he says that he resists for fear that some may see him, that some may see Paul rather than Christ. Something these false apostles are not concerned with. So now let's, let's read our, our passage in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. 
So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, God, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, this is Paul now, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content, I am content with weakness, insults, I am content with hardships, I am content with persecutions, calamities, because for when I am weak, then I am strong. So what is a thorn? That, that's the question, that's the basic, we want to understand what Paul is talking about. Uh, the thorn was given to him to keep him humble. Uh, the thorn is a messenger of Satan that is sent to harass him. Scripture isn't clear as to what the specific thorn is that Paul is, is struggling with. Uh, people have speculated. Paul goes through a lot, and that those things probably fall into this category. Um, but Paul is clear when he defines the thorn. He transitions at the end of these verses uh, from thorn to the word weakness. And then he goes on to give four clarifying characteristics of this weakness. Insults, these, I know we all know what insults are, but just humor me. Uh, individuals that aim to disrespect and tear down with clever words, specifically targeting your values, your morals, your way of life. Hardships, a sudden and unexpected diminishment in quality of life that results in suffering. Persecutions, individuals who target you based on your faith, seeking to harm or tear down with words or physical violence. Calamities, an event that causes sudden and crushing damage and distress. That one kind of caught me off guard because uh, calamity is, I normally think of tornadoes and hurricanes and this thing on a massive scale. And so to think of that being translated into an individual's personal life is, um, that, that is, that is terrible, but it is a real thorn that people experience. There is a reason that Paul uses the terminology uh, of a thorn as an analogy for weakness. Uh, I'm envisioning someone walking through the wilderness and they're stepping on a thorn, and I'm not talking like a rose bush or what we have here. I'm, I'm thinking like a large two-inch thorn that becomes embedded in their foot. And they stop, and they, they try to remove the thorn. They try to make it better. They try to clean out the wound. They bandage it up. But every step they take after is a reminder of the thorn that they just stepped on. The pain is still there. The hole is still there. The struggle is still there. There is pain. And we learn with these metaphorical thorns that they make us weak that we are not as strong as we thought we were. These weaknesses and thorns are things that we would get rid of if we could, but we can't. And we find ourselves weaker than we thought that we were. And, and this, is, this is humbling. And this brings us to a place where comfort and support is needed. Paul finds his comfort and his support and strength in the person of Jesus Christ. 
I personally am, am prone to find my strength in, in temporal things, in things of, of this world rather than Christ. Uh, I want to clarify something also about this text. Uh, when I set out to write this sermon, I was initially thinking that I would add in sinful behaviors as a weakness. I thought, oh, yeah, it's, it's New Year's, sinful behaviors that, that we can't control, that we can't stop on New Year's. You, you want the Lord to save you. That, that's a good New Year's sermon. That'll preach. Uh, and I've always heard things like, oh, oh, my thorn is uh, pornography, my thorn is substance abuse, my thorn is apathy, my thorn is anger, my thorn is idolatry, whatever it is. I've always heard those phrases. And, and to be honest, I've heard that phrase more than I've heard Paul's description of a thorn. I've heard thorns used in, in that regard. But the problem, though, is that the text is, is not about behaviors. Paul clearly explains what a thorn is, and it's, it's something that happens to an individual. It happens to them. A thorn is given against the will of the individual. So some of you are sitting here and you're thinking, I don't know what my thorn is, and frankly, sin in my life feels so big and overwhelming that it is enough to humble me and remind me that I need the grace of God. It doesn't feel necessary to identify my thorn because sin is so prevalent and strong in my life. I, I, I would argue that the sin in your life is a response to a thorn, a thorn that has been given to you. I used to work uh, at a psychiatric hospital called Rivendell. Very cool name. Uh, I specifically worked with adolescent sex offenders uh, aging from 11 to 17. They would come and stay at the hospital for uh, about a year. That's, that's how long they would be there f during their treatment process. Uh, and every day these kids were in intense therapy seeking to accomplish three things. Why did they do it? Understanding what they did and how to prevent this from ever happening again. What blew my mind as I came into this, you know, in my early 20s was that every kid had had someone else do to them what they had done to their victim. Blew my mind. And, and most of them, and on top of that, had had experienced countless other traumas, whether it was abusive parents being pulled from the home of those abusive parents, being put into foster care, maybe early uh, introductions to alcohol, drugs, pornography, whatever it was. And it affected them. Their chaotic and structureless life that was out of their control brought them to a place where they had no control. And they reached out for control with a destructive sin that left people crippled in their wake but it made them feel strong. It made them feel like they had control over their life. Only to end up in a hospital where they have no control at all. Here is, here is my point with this, with this story. The sin in your life that is ruling you is a response to a thorn, a trauma, a weakness that has been thrust upon you against your will. 
I still to this day can, can hear the things that middle schoolers and high schoolers said to me when I was in school. I still remember it. I still remember it clear as day. And I would like to think that that has, has had no bearing on my life and, and what I've done and how I've lived. But it, but it does. But it does. We're still grieving over our parents' divorce. You're still grieving over the loss of your loved ones. You are still fearful to share your faith because of the hateful things that someone said to you the last time you tried. You still don't trust your spouse because of what they did. And you wonder when life is going to slow down and let you breathe for one second. These thorns push us to a place where we need comfort and strength. We look for this in food, pornography, idolatry, alcohol, drugs, apathy, anger, um, how we treat other people, and, and we find that there is no lasting joy in those things. No lasting strength. We are weak and we are prone to drift. This is why I say that if you can identify trauma and thorns in your life, you can understand why it is that you habitually give yourself over to sin. Fighting the drift is to recognize the thorn and to go to Jesus with it rather than to what this world offers. So then that, that leaves us with a big question. Why must we be weak? Why must we be made weak? Why must the thorn be given to us? Why should this ever happen at all? And to understand that, we need to know who gives the thorn. Because this thorn isn't just happenstance. It's not the result of a fallen world. And, and this, is, this is something that I, 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 if you had ever asked me if I believed this, I would have said no. But in my life, practically, this is what I believed. Uh, my wife and I were, uh, when we first decided we wanted to have kids, our first pregnancy ended in a miscarriage. And then we kept trying, and it was a year later before we got pregnant. And the whole time we were waiting, I, I felt like it was because of unrepentant sin in my life that I was being punished, that the miscarriage happened, that this was, this was my fault. And we had our son, Sam. And shortly after that, we wanted to have another kid, and we started trying, and then it was, it was two years before we were given another child. And the whole time, I still was believing that it was because of unrepentant sin in my life that I was being punished, that this thorn was being given to me. I never would have said that that's what I believed, that that's how the Lord operated. Oh, you're not being good. Here's your lump of coal. That's not how he works. That's not the purpose of the thorn. It's not punitive. It's not a punishment for sin, and it's not a response to necessarily a fallen world. There is a purpose behind it. The thorn is purposefully given, and that is still very hard to hear, that the thorn was specifically planned out for you. So then, who gives the thorn? For Paul, he was given a thorn to keep him humble, which does not seem like something that Satan would be interested in doing. That seems kind of the opposite of what Satan would seek to accomplish. But then Paul says that a, a messenger of Satan was sent to harass him. 
So then it seems that there are two opposing wills at work in this thorn. Arriving with the thorn, one comes as petty and vile and destructive, seeking to harass and to slow Paul's efforts in ministry. The other comes with a holy and righteous purpose to save Paul and others. By simply keeping him humble. Uh, there are instances like this throughout all of Scripture, but one specifically that, that stands out to me is uh, in Genesis with Joseph. Joseph is his, you know, his dad's favorite son. He's hanging out. He's got a cool coat. And one day his brothers throw him out, and he is sold into slavery, and things are not good. He is is jailed. He is accused of things that he did not do. And I am sure in this time frame, there, there there is anger and resentment towards those that have afflicted him. But he but he keeps going. And through his affliction and through his thorn, he's able to, to read some dreams and he is able to save all of Egypt through um, his faithfulness to God by, by storing the food rather than wasting it when famine comes. And, and then Joseph is given this really unique opportunity to confront those that have thrown him away, those that have afflicted him. And, and you know, this isn't, you know, day after. I'm sure there would be some anger in, in Joseph's heart day after. This is several years later. He's confronted with his brothers, the people that have, have thrown him into this position. And, and the Lord has, has graced Joseph with a very good understanding of why he was meant to suffer. And so Joseph responds with an amazing God-given clarity in Genesis 50:20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. The unfortunate thing is that we may not always know why we are given a thorn, why we are made weak. But we find hope in that there there is a purpose behind it. Another reason that we know that this thorn is not just a work of Satan is because of how the Lord works in the weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. This cannot be the hope of Satan. For Christ's power to be made perfect, that is not his goal. He is the deserter. He is the defiler. He is seeking to lead you away. But yet the Lord's purpose overpowers the purpose of Satan in this. This is a work of God. The thorn has a holy and specific purpose outlined by God, and it supersedes Satan and his desire. This is not primarily the destroying work of the devil, but is instead the saving work of God. Which, it's, it's, it, is, it is hard to believe that. It is hard to understand that. But, but Paul, in, in this instance about his thorn, prays three times that it would be removed from me. 
It is not something to be desirable, and it is not something that God joyfully gives to you and says, just wait, it'll get good. He knows that you will suffer. He knows that this will be hard. But it is on us to to trust that, that God will be God and that he will get the glory through this. That your suffering is not in vain. It is not a waste. It is not for kicks and giggles. So then why why is Jesus glorified in weakness? Why can't he be glorified in removing weakness? Why does it have to be in in giving weakness? Wouldn't it be more amazing if God could take away all of my issues and that everyone would go, oh, look at this perfect man. He's great. He's good. Let's all go to his church. But the problem is, is that I would forget the person who removed my weaknesses. The world would not look at God. They would look at me and they would hope for the same for them. Their hope would not be to worship God. Their hope would be that they would be cured and healed of their maladies. The world would see the gift and not the giver. They would miss Jesus if it were not for our perseverance in our weakness. The reason above all we are given these thorns is that others might see Christ as he carried the cross to Calvary. That they might see Christ keeping himself on the cross who had every ability to remove that weakness from him. He had every ability to call down the angels and pull him off the cross. But he stayed there and he completed that work of love and he suffered through that weakness because he knew that God had ordained it. He knew that God had a plan for his suffering. So we are not alone in our suffering. Christ too was was made weak so that others might be saved. This is why we here at the Axis take communion every week. As a means of celebrating and remembering the work of love that Jesus completed on our behalf. His suffering and ours has a holy and salvific purpose. It is, it is so hard to see that in the moment. It is so hard to see that there would be any good at all to someone losing a child. That there would be any good at all to losing your job. That's the thing that we say, you know, God will work through it. But that is so hard to practically believe. But we see in Scripture God do that time and time and time again. Where someone is made weak for a time. So that the multitude might be saved. So that the individual might be saved. So that they might be protected from their own arrogance and pride. This is what God does. He takes the weak and the foolish to shame the wise. The way he works is not how we want to work. But his plan is far better than any plan we could ever dream or come up with. Um, This morning, before we come forward, before we take the bread and the wine, um, I want to give you guys something specific. To, to pray about in your seats as you um, get ready to come up and, and take the bread and the cup. Um, 
I want to urge you to go to God with your thorn. I want you to specifically think about what, it, what is that thing that you have been afflicted with, that you have been grieving, that you have been in severe pain over, and I want you to, to go to God with that this morning. Just as Jesus in the garden went to God with his burden, as he's, he's in the garden and he's weeping and he's asking his father, if there is any way, let this cup pass me by. Just as Paul does in this text three times, Lord, remove this thorn from my flesh. And God may not remove it. He may not remove the thorn because he, he didn't remove it from Christ. Christ went to the cross, he was made weak, and he stayed weak until he was, his power was made perfect in that, in his resurrection, in his defeating of death. Paul, too, did not have his thorn removed. So if he won't, if God will not remove the thorn, then I ask you to pray for strength, to carry on knowing that your suffering can bring you and others closer to the cross. Ask that in 2020, he may grant you understanding of your thorn, that you may glimpse the purpose behind it. If you could only see but just a glimpse and, and proof to know that the Lord is working through your pain, that there is a reason that you are suffering in the way that you are, there is a reason that you are feeling the anxiety that you are at the onset of a new decade and a new year. That you would get to, to glimpse his purposes. And that that would fill you with strength and hope. Not that you would be over it. You will still feel that thorn. And we will remain weak. But Christ's power will be made perfect in that weakness. Let's, let's pray for that this morning. Let's pray for understanding in our weaknesses. If you guys could pray with me. Lord, help us and guide us. We are in pain and we have been made very weak and we have been made very humble and we sit at night and we cry out and we ask why the burdens we carry are too much guilt, wandering, failures hope, fears and suffering Lord we cannot carry these things Lord help us with these burdens we need your grace. We need your strength. We need your mercy. Lord, help us to understand that your son suffered for us. That your son joyfully suffered so that we might be fellow heirs with him. 
So Lord, help us to remember that the suffering we feel now is nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed to us in your Son, Jesus Christ. But while we are here, and while we wait, and while we hurt, help to remind us that there is a purpose in it. It is a purpose to save. It is a purpose to sanctify. It is a purpose to glorify your son. So this morning, help us to celebrate and remember as we take the bread and the cup. Help us to remember what your son accomplished on our behalf. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are listening to a sermon from the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org.